Good evening. Good evening. Of course, if you close your eyes, you may be able to feel the invisible. I'm not sure you can see it, but you can see the effects of the invisible. And in this series, The Supernatural, we've been talking about stuff that sounds weird, and yet, you know, I hear weirder stuff on the news, when I look at social media, in Women's Weekly, in anything. There's real weird stuff going on in this world. The beautiful thing is, our weird is wonderful. Because that which we're created for, we can finally live in reality for. Our God, the unseen, makes himself present in our lives. So tonight, we've got an incredible topic, and we'll never cover it all. But recently, I was at a, at, at a meal with some people, and I said, I've got to speak on the devil. What would you like me to talk about? Well, I can't talk about everything they said, but this is what they said. This is a list I wrote. The history of where he pops up in the Bible. Well, one good thing about that, you can read that yourself. <laughs> Strongholds. I wish I could go there. We might touch it tonight. Tails and horns. What does the devil look like? That Job thing. Can't go there tonight either. When he gets kicked out, demons. Can a believer be demon-possessed? Is he a demon's supporter? This, of course, was before the grand final. The power he has now. How can we resist? If he's defeated, why do we still have control? The character of Satan, the names of Satan, what's his main role? And of course, is he's a person. There's some of the things that I was asked to spend some time on. Most of it will be covered, some I can't because they're topics in and of themselves. Is that okay? But the Bible Project has some incredible stuff on spiritual beings. I've watched them. And uh, some of the notes I've got from there tonight, some of the stuff I said about beings was from there as well. So the spiritual beings one, and the Bible project on gods, angels, demons, they're there. Look at them. Great stuff. Simple with wonderful little diagrams. There's lots of different beliefs about the demons, devils, Satan, spiritual things, good and bad. Now, there's two ways that most Christians handle this. Sometimes we just ignore it to our peril. Devil's happy with that. And other times we just get obsessed with it, talk about it, curious. And we see demons and devils everywhere, under the seat, in the car. Devil made me leave my notes behind tonight. We've got lots of funny little expressions, okay? So, do demons live in my car and cause it to break down? Do demons cause sickness? Sickness? Can Christians be demon-possessed? Can I cast out a demon? Probably lots of other questions you have too. They're my questions, okay. Is the devil dressed in red with horns and a pitchfork? Is the devil a comical creature? Beware of how you talk. Be careful. Be aware about it, about how you talk. Because 
The devil is sneaky, as we'll find out tonight. This is what the Bible says, the devil is real. You got that? The devil is real. Secondly, demons are real. Yes, I have seen and been with Christians who have been somehow controlled at that period of their time by demons. Yes, we did cast them out. Evil is real. And you and I sin. And you and I can do evil things. So that's pretty sobering to start with. So we're going to start at the very beginning, which is a very good place to start, so the song says. And of course, the beginning is always in Genesis, that first book in our Bible. If you really go to Genesis, read chapters 1, 2, 3, over and over again, somehow you will get an understanding of what, all of the main stuff that we believe today. So God created the heavens and earth. First verse in the Bible, that's what we know. The earth was dark without form, and there was this sense of emptiness that was there. Then God spoke. It was like, this, you know, the earth was empty and darkness and form. I had the sound effects then. <laughs> but God spoke the world into being. There was order and beauty, and God filled the earth with living things and with humans. And he placed humans in this space to govern and to rule. And heaven and earth meet. And God is present. And creation, sorry, heaven and earth meet. God is present with creation in a place we call Eden. So that's the beauty. That's the order. That's the wonder. And that is also our hope of where the heaven and earth meet again, and we are there, present with our Lord forever and ever. However, we don't go far into Genesis when we come across chapter 3, and we meet a crafty thing called a snake. Bear with me. Snakes don't talk, okay? This evil presence took the form of a snake. Snakes are not necessarily evil. But we're introduced to a snake who is called at this time the most cunning of all animals. No other description is given at this stage. But as we read the scriptures and read through more and more, we're introduced more and more to descriptions of this devil, this snake. Oh, I gave it away straight away. Listen to what the snake is going to do. This snake distorts. You got that word? This snake distorts God and everything that there is about God. And it begins its journey by trying to, trying to take creation back to chaos, darkness, disorder. Have you got that? God created beauty, order, and he filled the earth with that which was pleasing and good. 
The snake is out to distort God and reverse it. And that is Satan's main activity in this world. This creature, this snake, had rebelled and had enticed another rebellion. The first rebellion was when this evil creature was cast out of heaven and now this second rebellion takes place when this crafty creature, a snake, comes and entices humans. This creature has rebelled and enticed another rebellion of humans so that the two rebellions are interwoven. And so begins the human story on earth where we are confronted with evil, with sin and ruin. When we agree to give this crafty creature, the snake, the ability to enter our life and to distort this picture of God and the reality of God. From this time on, men and women, you and me, have been in cooperation with this snake, whom we will identify later on. And we are so interwoven into the activity of this snake that we live a distorted life. We fail to see reality as reality really is. We are more interested in, dare I say it, conspiracies and curious about all of this other stuff instead of what is really real, truth. So we live a distorted life with a distorted view of the one true God. So here are we, humans, fundamentally glorious because we were created by God, for God, and he called us good, and fundamentally wretched when the cooperation with the evil one who distorted God. Let's have a look at the snake throughout Scripture. There's lots of clues in the Bible as to what happened. There is the snake that uh, um, the, the spiritual being took the form of. Now, the snake, the word in Hebrew is a little bit like the word seraphim. And I talked about this just in passing when we did the message on being. So if you want to learn a little bit more, go there. We meet seraphims in Isaiah 6. They are winged creatures as seen by Isaiah in that form. I have no idea what they really are, but that's what he saw. These creatures around the throne of God, and there was this chorus of singing, holy, holy, holy. They were incredible creatures who could only look at the throne of God and declare holiness. And these seraphim, were responsible for touching the lips of Isaiah and declaring Isaiah clean. Because in their presence, Isaiah, that great prophet of whom we read about in the older part of the Bible, he felt unclean, and yet he was a prophet. But in the presence of them, he felt unclean. So it is probable that the original snake was one of them. There are other theologies about the fall and the outcome, but this is what happened. 
Satan, whom we shall call by his name later, the snake, Satan, the devil, was originally a creature that was in the presence of God, that worshipped God with a lot of other creatures. And not all heavenly beings were given choice, but some were. And these heavenly creatures sang praises, worshipped God in eternity, for eternity. But one of them, the one that we will identify later as Satan, as the devil, wanted to be like God. Does that sound like someone else we know? Humans wanted to be like God. And so this creature, this heavenly creature, assumed worship and assumed the position of God and rallied a whole lot of others and they were cast out of the presence of God. Scripture teaches us at this stage that they were cast down to earth. And we now know that that serpent, that snake, from reading Revelation 12 and some other passage of Scripture, is that once they were kicked out of heaven, they took, he took about a third of the other angelic beings that we now call demons. Someone asked me this week, a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, she said, why on earth did this happen? Couldn't God have stopped this evil? Why have we got wickedness? Why did God have to do this? Good question. Here's a very simple answer. I've got some statements I'll put up there in a minute, but know this. Choice is a gift. And if we were created without choice, we would not be here tonight. Let me follow this story through. Could God have stopped this? Scripture teaches us that love is two-way. It's not, I love this here. Isn't it wonderful, this little lectern? It's wonderful. But this lectern has no possibility, whatever, to love me back. Okay? I love my bottle of water. And it does wonders for me. But it has no personality to love me back. And so when I use love like that, I'm not using love how God uses that word. Love is always two ways. You got that? And love is a relationship. Love flows. Love is two-way. Forced love is not love. Okay, I can come up to you and say, you've got to love me. Oh, isn't that awful when people say that, when your mother says, you've got to get on with this person. You've got to forgive them. You've got to play with them. You've got to share your toys with them. You know that? <laughs> isn't that horrible? And so we think, oh, yeah. But forced love is not love. You can show the activities, but inside nothing's happened. The greatest gift that God gives humans, and originally these angelic creatures, was choice. Knowing that this choice could be used against God. Now, isn't that incredible? The greatest gift that you have tonight is choice. And you can use that choice 
to muck up your life, to muck up the life of others, to move away from God, to do your own thing, to live without the presence of God. That gift that God gives you can be used against God. Sad, eh? But true. Love is to grow. I, I love God more now than I ever have, and I'm sure that I'll keep on loving God and learning more. And sometimes I feel as though my love is just like this because there's still a lot of selfishness within me, still a lot of me wanting to get my own way. But there'll be purity in love one day. Love is to be tested to see if it is true love. Okay? You know those soppy little romances that some of you've read and I read in my day. How, you know, there's always this little plot. Girl meets boy, but she's in this relationship with another boy and suddenly discover that this one's a bit better and so they fall in love and then he seems to be a bit bad and there's this climax and then it was all a misunderstanding and they live happily ever after. You know, most stories are like that. Is that true? You can write any books you like. There's the plot. And uh, see, true love is tested. It stands the test of time. Choosing to, lo choosing to love is a greater love than being expected to love. Our God story is a love story. God never forces anyone to be in love with him or with others. Our story with God becomes a love story. So that's why I said if there was no choice, you would not be here tonight. You would be commanded to do stuff, and you would be doing it without that sense of choice. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, as was the snake. Where did the snake go? Well, the snake was cast down to the earth. Revelation says, woe to you that are on earth, because the devil knows that his time is short and he's been cast down and he's going to wreak havoc because what does he want to do? He wants to bring darkness. He wants to bring disorder. He wants to bring chaos. He wants to take the created, beautiful world back to a mess. And is he succeeding? Yep. Very powerful. But he will not succeed in the end. Yeah. That's great. So he is called the snake, the dragon, sea dragon, a beast, a dark desert creature, the king of death. He's like a roaring, loud, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. He makes me believe bad things about you and you believe bad things about me. And that is the biggest thing that he does in youth groups and among young people when we about them, when we bring them down, when we bully and say, did you know, did you know this? And that is the activity of Satan, and that's what you allow him to do when you listen to him, and that he makes a mess of our young people. And we don't want to do that. We don't want that at all. So he's got lots of titles, tempter, evil one. Satan is a title. The adversary is, Satan just simply means adversary is not for a thing, not for anything. He's against everything. You got that? The devil's not for you. The devil's out to destroy you. The greatest lie the devil tells you is that I run my own life. Lie of the devil. Satan's a title. So 
Satan and humans cooperate in the scriptures. I'm going to get carried away and we're never going to finish tonight. Uh, we might just... Anyhow, you know the Tower of Babel story? You know, I don't know if you know that one or not, but there's a story in the older part of the Testament where some men and women who all have the same language say, come on, let's build a tower and make a name for ourselves so that we can glorify ourselves and be great. And it seems as though there was cooperation here with Satan and humans, and they were going to build this tower and make a great name for themselves. Tower of Babel, it's called. And God came down and saw the wickedness and evil in human hearts. And from that time, he dispersed them and said, go into all the world. Go there, disperse you. And he gave different language so that could never happen again. That little story became a theology, became a picture word, Babel, about kingdoms, about nations having evil powers and beasts over them. I think when we had Christoph Ox here, he alluded to this, that there were beasts from the Daniel story and from the Revelation story where we looked at pictures and images. And it seems that kingdoms and governments and nations, economic institutions have evil spirits over them out to destroy ordinary people and give power to a select few who exploit who corrupt. Now, not all nations are like that, but evil nations slowly succumb to the power of the beasts over them. And we've got stories in Daniel about the prince of Persia. We've got stories there, but we haven't got time to stay there. But just to say this, if you see Babylon written, it doesn't just necessarily mean the nation of Babylon. So in Peter, right in the last verse, the, the writer says, Watch the, the people from Babylon greet you. It's meaning this evil notion that became a symbolic term for the nation which is persecuting us. And if you want to read the exciting thing, the evil nations, the distorted nations, the corrupt nations, they will finally have a downfall. Read in poetic language, in vivid language, Revelation chapter 18, and the glorious follow-up in chapter 19. Well, we have to live with an awareness of our enemy, who our enemy is. So I want us to do a Bible reading, because we go to Paul to find out a little bit more about how we are to live with this darkness in this world, how we are to live with this one who's out to corrupt us, to bring chaos, to bring disorder into our lives. Who feels that their lives are in disorder? Who feels chaotic at times? Order is the work of Jesus. Disorder, disarray is the activity of Satan where he gets to us. So let's read this. It might be good if we all read it together. You ready for a stand up and read it? You can do that, eh? Stand up because it tells us to do that four times. <laughs> this is from Ephesians chapter 6, written by Paul. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his power, Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breast of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all these, these, take the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Read it daily for a week. Have a sit. Could you do that? Could you read that daily for a week? That's a challenge, isn't it? You know, what are we to do? First of all, I want to say, the person sitting next to you, behind you, down the back, the people that you deal with are not your enemy. Humans are not the enemy. Okay? Not flesh. Not blood. Who is our enemy? It's the rulers. Listen to the hierarchical structure of evil. Rulers against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in, in heavenly places. Unseen forces of evil, the beasts, the strategies to bring the kingdom of God down, and individual Christians. It can't destroy the church. The gates of hell and the demons will not destroy the church, but it can destroy people who think that coming to church saves them. Okay? What are we to do? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. I, I've, I'm doing a twist here now. We're going to have a song and then we're going to come back in a minute just to finish off. But one of the main things to do is to worship, to sing, to profess, to make statements about your belief. Now, we're going to do this. We're going to sing it reflectively. It's a great song. It's the creed, I believe. Now, some of this stuff may only be in your head. It may only be words, but stay with it until it goes to your heart, okay? So let's just have this song if we can, and I'll come back up in a minute. Thank you, thank you. Have a seat, have a seat. Oh, when you feel as though you're getting nowhere in your life with Jesus, just sing that song. <laughs> it's a great one, eh? So we are to put on the whole armor of God so that we may be able to stand, stand. We stand against the sneaky strategies of Satan. We stand against the evil things that come our way, that want to hit our character. When we're in a crisis, we want to be able to withstand and stand strong. We want to stand firm. Four times that word stands there. Does that mean it's passive? Let me say this. There's no room for wobbly Christians. <laughs> stand firm. Remember, God's business in this world is to create one new community of diverse individuals who live in purity and harmony. 
where there's God at work and there's neither male nor female, there's no different ethnic groups, there's no racism, there's none of this kind of stuff. One community. And the devil's business is to distort it, bring division by any means possible. The devil is powerful. Power is neutral. The devil's power is evil. The devil is evil. And the devil is the greatest con artist ever. Get that? He's wily. He's crafty. So we are to stand against that craftiness, the wildness, the sneaking cunning of the devil. By withstanding, we put on that whole armor of God. Now, the Roman soldier went to battle in armor. Helmets, the whole thing. Uh, You've probably heard, I don't know, that there was only the front, but there's not really. If you have a look at any historical descriptions about the army, that totally, totally encased in armor. And so, first of all, they are, we have this divine enabling. It is God's suit of armor. God gives it to us. We take it. We put it on to be done daily to be done daily. So I put on the breast, this, this belt of truth. And the belt of truth, I'm just going to go through this pretty quickly, okay? The truth, Jesus is truth. Know the truth, the truth will set you free. Great, eh? Truth. And the call for you to know that God is truth and the devil is the father of lies. And most of us live with lies going through our heads. So we put on the truth. And we know that Jesus is our truth. We put on this breastplate of righteousness right around us. Right around us, righteousness. We are given that. It's a gift. We take it from God. He's made us right with God. He's made us right with others. He is the one who works the good in us so that we do the good stuff. Can't do it without taking his righteousness. It's his armor. We are to put on our shoes so that we're always ready to spread the gospel of peace, to be grounded in the Jesus story, to know that Jesus is peace. Earlier on in this year, I started praying, Lord, let there be peace and start with me. May I be a person that brings peace and not dissension and havoc. And then there's the shield of faith. This shield was probably 1.2 meters high, and it was there. It was double uh, wood together with leather over it. And it was always put in the water first because the arrows had fire on them, and it quenched it. And the arrows that are shoved at you by the devil are those sneaky little things. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. He's better than me. She's not nice. Sneaky little stuff. All of those sneaky little arrows, put it up there. I want the truth. I want to know who I am in Jesus. You got it? You got it. Go for it. It's there to get rid of all those sneaky little things, the lies that Satan throws at you. So you got the shield of faith and your helmet of salvation. Now, this salvation story is for humans, not for angels. The devil hasn't got a hope. His destiny is finally a place prepared for him and the beasts, eternally separated. He's already out of the presence of God. He's been given activity here. But 
We have the helmet of salvation, God's protection, God's story. We're saved, people. We're delivered. We know our Jesus story. We're his. You got it? It's good. And we have the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us. The sword can be the word of God. It can be the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. It can be all of this and much, much more. We know who we are and we can fight with truth, with the word, speaking it, singing it, whatever it is. With this armor, we can stand firm. You are in Christ if you're a follower of him. You have God's Holy Spirit within you. You can dress yourself for battle every day and you can stand firm. And the good news is we do not have to succumb to the activity of Satan in our lives. We do not have to give in to temptation. We don't have to. We have been given everything we need. The enemies were defeated by Jesus. And we can stand in that victory by suiting ourselves up in the armor of God. And why have we got this armor? So that we can pray. All the time he says, finally, pray in the spirit. Come before God. Weep before God. Cry out to God. God is there to help you. Very present help in the time of trouble. Pray for your friends, for the believers, for the people in this church, for your enemies perceptively, for others. Pray. Pray that the gospel of peace, the good news of Jesus will go into this world. I want to challenge you. Jesus followers, take this seriously. Okay? Read Ephesians 6 every day for a week. Can you do that? Can you commit? That's holiday time. You can read it 10 times if you like. Uh, But get to know it and get it and get dressed. You wouldn't dare go out without clothes on. Don't go out into the world without the clothes that Jesus has given you. For those that don't know Jesus, salvation is for you. You too can know this one. And he, Jesus, is greater than the one who's in the world, who's deceiving, who's deceptive, who's corrupting this world. You can have a personal relationship with him. He too can be your salvation, your righteousness, your joy, and your hope. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much that we can stand firm against the sneaky, crafty, evil one who is called the prince of this world. Thank you that Jesus is the king of kings. Thank you that Jesus is the son of God. Thank you that Satan is defeated and his time on this earth is short. Thank you that the one who's in us, the followers of Jesus, is greater than the one who's in this world. Give us courage, Lord. Give us hope so that we may live in love and not in fear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.